Welcome to the eighth installment of Guido Talks, the show where we go back over our top stories and the best ones to discuss over the last seven days on Guido Forks. Remember, if you don't want to watch and you'd prefer to listen, you can find out how on all good podcast apps and at the Guido Forks website. Today, I am again joined by Guido Forks founder and editor Paul Staines, along with reporter Christian Calgi. My name's Tom Harwood and you're watching or indeed listening to Guido Talks. It has been a busy week in British politics this week. We thought that majority government would put an end to the squabbles, the furores and the marches on the streets that we've seen over the last few years, but it wasn't to be. Uh, we've had a rude awakening this week in regards to politics firing back up again and none no moment was more illustrative of this, I think, this week than Thursday evening when I got a late night phone call from a member of parliament leaving parliament saying, Tom, you've got to see this. They're boarding up the statue of Winston Churchill. And this member of parliament sent me across a few photos and we whacked it straight up on Guido Fawkes and it's now one of our most read stories of the week because it's really provoked a real sense of dismay and hurt I think throughout the country. Um, but this is of course the culmination of a week of things rather spinning out of control when it comes to cultural icons, statues, even TV shows. Calgi, uh, can you take us back a little bit earlier this week to see where some of this started to bubble up from. Back when we were all in blissful peace at the uh, <laughs> lack of knowledge that this whole week would be spent talking about statues and sitcoms <laughs> most of us haven't watched for at least half a decade. Um, yeah, uh, it's been a, a bizarre week. Obviously, we've had the Black Lives Matter movement come over from America and I think to begin with, across the board, there was a, uh, a respect of the right of people to protest. You know, I think there was a, a, probably an inordinate amount of leeway given that we are still in the midst of the pandemic and mass public gatherings aren't the best idea. We've finally seen Sadiq Khan this morning advising against any further mass protests. Um, but it just became a recurring issue that these major statues in Parliament Square, uh, Churchill and the Cenotaph uh, were getting consistently graffitied uh, and um, you know it's, a, it's a, a hell of a visual metaphor that we've got to the end of the week and the only option for the Metropolitan Police is to cover it in scaffolding. Um, some might ask why they weren't, they can't just uh, stand around it and protect it and we have to hide away one of the people in this country, many people see as the greatest icon. Uh, and then we saw it spill over away from colonial uh, actors and into other areas. We've seen the people of Poole having to stand and protect the statue of Baden-Powell, the founder of the Scouts, over various beliefs he had. Um, and, you know, I think the whole movement has lost a lot of goodwill and now you know ordinary majority people out in the country are starting to say no this is madness and we will not allow mob rule to decide you know what statues get torn down i remember on monday morning at 
our editorial conference uh, and readers and podcast listeners and viewers of this video might be surprised that we have a morning uh, editorial conference. I remember, I think it was a Christian who said, uh, let's try not getting dragged into the culture war. And I, I said, I thought there was only one game in town and that yeah. is going to be cultural week. And so it turned out, unfortunately, because usually uh, we don't like to cover these issues. It's not really our field. We stick to Westminster politics and gossip and uh, generally try and stay out of it. Not least because it generally becomes pretty unpleasant. And uh, people who can say some pretty distasteful things on both sides. So I think uh, you said the church was an icon. It's only a few years ago that the BBC held a poll to find Britain's greatest uh, icon. And Churchill won by a long chalk, you know. And now we've got a situation where the mob is hounding him and vandalizing, trying to destroy the greatest anti-fascist that ever lived. It's just, I think, a feeling that half the country feels that something has gone very badly wrong, and they're right. I think it's probably a lot more than half the country. I think there's only a tiny minority of protesters. I mean, I know lots of people who went out and marched on those kind of Black Lives Matter protests last week who were appalled by the violence that we've seen uh, coming about latterly. And so I don't think that we can cast sort of even even a, a majority of those that are protesting as, as in this small clique of people intent on vandalism or in favour of tearing down statues like Winston Churchill. I mean, I found it incredibly ironic to see uh, pictures today outside Parliament of the statue of Churchill completely boxed in and boarded up. And then right behind him, David Lloyd George, a man who, who was in favour of appeasing Hitler, who said that um, Hitler's rearming was just about defence and all this sort of stuff that's turned out to be incredibly erroneous and, and, and worryingly, uh, worryingly appeasing of fascism. He just stands there with no fanfare, with no furore, and with no need to be boxed in. The hypocrisy is quite a sight to behold. But actually... Well, I think... I think the left jump on these fads as much as any other group in politics. I think at the moment, if you were to dive into the, you know, the, the, the proper hard left side of social media, you will see, you know, just carte blanche, uh, Churchill was awful. And I think to some extent, some of it is a sort of rallying against the establishment from their perspective or deliberately pissing off all the right people as they'd see it um but it's not consistent and it actually doesn't make any logical sense and if they want a sustained change i'm all for education i think actually on reflection we should find more time in the curriculum to talk about the british empire because as far as i'm from a personal experience i don't remember it being spoken about for one second in history class but they've completely left the public in the in the dust behind them. And they've leapt all the way to Churchill was an evil man. Um, and, uh, you know, they've, as I say, uh, between the start of the week and the end of the week, the movement has lost a huge, huge swathe of the public. I saw a report just earlier saying they're going to board up uh, Mandela and Gandhi's statues as well today. I mean, some parts of the left actually say that uh, Gandhi has uh, unwoke issues to deal with as well. It's becoming terrible. And there's a statue in Bristol, 
of uh, the black poet that's been vandalized. Look, the, I'll tell you what's interesting. In India, where they did take down a lot of statues of viceroys and people after independence, there is a place in Delhi, a, 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 a park in Delhi, where you can go see all those statues. They put them in sort of, here's some statues we don't want in, our, in places of people that we don't like, but we're not going to destroy them because they're part of our history. So maybe if people democratically want to do the take down statues, put them in a um, national trust-owned park. Mm. Well, I, that's the I thing. Think this this... Is... No, go on. Uh, it has to be democratic because there's there's no other way forward i was um really shocked at, at the uh, what seems to be a sort of bleach attack uh of this black poet statue in bristol um but the fury out there that if you don't keep it democratic and the far right in this country see the far left as a sort of mob taking these decisions into their own hands you're you're naturally going to enrage a few extremists uh, to the point that they feel they're vindicated to take these actions, and these have to be decided in a in an open and public and accountable way. Absolutely, I think one of the moments that was a real eye opener was so many people who were sort of cheering that initial statue being torn down undemocratically then went on to say, oh no, wait, they're going to try to tear down statues to Gladstone now, and Nelson, and James II, and wait, I don't approve of this. Well, well, if you don't approve of due process in the first place, and the revolution runs away from you, who's, who's to blame for that? Like, really, we've got to understand that there's legitimate discussions to be had here, but a way to carry them out. And I think that perhaps um, people have missed, really, the moment in terms of rising to the occasion and having those grown-up sensible discussions rather than street violence. Um, and that's something that I brought up this week on Good Morning Britain um, on Tuesday morning, which is just around the time that the tide was, uh, was beginning to turn. I think that one of the biggest indicators of the way that things are swinging in this country is what Piers Morgan is saying. And he started that interview by sort of um, trying to equate the removal of statues to the removal of statues of Saddam Hussein or Hitler and ended that interview saying, hang on, we shouldn't be tearing down statues of Churchill or Nelson. And I think that this was a sort of pendulum moment whereby we went beyond the sort of realms of public acceptability and we went beyond the sort of very, very, very real problems of racial injustice in this country that we have to confront and into a world of absolute uh, uh, hysteria. There's no other word Are for it. Are you sure it, it wasn't your, your minds. powers of persuasion, Tom? I mean, you could have a career as a barrister. You can get Piers Morgan to calm down and change his mind. <laughs> have you thought about becoming a barrister? It was, it was Tom what won it. Was, uh, you know what? Um, I might start trying to claim that. I'm not sure. Um, <laughs> of course, Piers Morgan hasn't always been an ally of Black Lives Matter. Uh, unfortunately for him, the internet never forgets. And uh, it turned out that the last time Black Lives Matter was in the news, four years ago, five years ago, um, Piers Morgan was tweeting at Beyonce that she should give it a rest. <laughs> 
and black lives matter are doing more harm than good and uh don't black cops lives matter and stuff he did not like that when we drew that to his attention this week um i don't know if he went off air because you argued him off or he got fed up with twitter he does seem to be having second thoughts about the whole issue Certainly. Unsurprisingly, it didn't take him long to uh, take the bait on that story. <laughs> it seems like we're having weekly conversations through the website with Piers Morgan these days. Um, it's, a, it's a habit we need to we need to wean ourselves off. Um, oh, I, I, I think that will happen again next week. Don't worry. <laughs> Stay tuned, um, as they say. Well, one of the one of the. Um, indicators that this was running out of control was when the whole movement was seized on by a website that was run by a group called the Stop Trump Coalition UK. Now I'm not I'm not sure I, do, I don't I, I, I must have missed the moment when Donald Trump became involved in elected politics in this country. I, I assumed he was president of the United States of America. But anyway, this movement that uh, is heavily backed by Owen Jones set up a website to try and tear down lots of other statues. Um, and this was not quite all going to plan as we started to see uh, suggestions of, of things to tear down on this site from uh, statues of James II to Nelson's Column to, to Gladstone. Um, and it started to get very, very peculiar. Um, Kalgi, can you tell us more about this whole statue hysteria and how it started to whip up in the middle of this week? Yeah, we can. I mean, I um, it, it took me a while for this to dawn on me but if you go to this this website which i think is is called uh, you know the racists must topple or, or something like that you look in the northeast and there's a couple in newcastle and uh one in leeds and there's one statue in the middle of north yorkshire which is captain james cook uh, which is actually in my village it's a five minute walk down the road and uh some local lefties uh are now trying to get uh captain cook um sort of erased from the local identity which has had massive pushback so far this uh change.org petition has only had i think 40 signatures and a hell of a lot more people pushing back against it but these people are massively integral to local identities captain cook doesn't just have a statue on the high green if i turn behind me there is a, a 20 foot high obelisk on top of a hill the local primary school is named after him there's a local museum the local hospital the whole uh, we've all grown up with this guy in our local identity so naturally there's going to be backlash um but they didn't stop short of that they also started wanting statues to fall because their father uh, had uh, been on the wrong side of history as we saw with the case of a statue of prime minister robert peel uh, her protest i believe was started trying to get him toppled uh, without realizing that it actually been peel's dad who uh, had uh, raised a petition against the foreign slave trade abolition bill uh, and they, they quickly found a reason to still want Peel to topple but that left them quite red-faced I think. A Guardian columnist should be careful about where they're going with this because 
historically, it turns out, the Guardian wasn't always so hot on fighting the slave trade. And it, it turns out that because of the circumstances of their uh, newspaper being in Manchester, where it was backed by a lot of the uh, merchant class, in particular cotton merchants, they weren't keen on the North winning the American Civil War. In fact, they backed the Confederacy. The Guardian editorialized against the uh, proclamation, the emancipation of slaves that set them free. The Guardian actually was negative towards this. There is a lot of academic research. The Guardian's history was not on the side of the woke, actually on the side of the people who exploited and profited from the slave trade. So I ask you the question, should Owen Jones not be campaigning for the Guardian to fall? And shouldn't the Guardian be paying reparations for all the sins of its history? We're only talking um, 150 years ago, you know, no, sorry, I missed that, 180 years ago. It's, it's, it's not ancient history. And if we're going to dig out things from four or 500 years ago, I think we can, and the life of that newspaper, they have been on the wrong side of history. In fact, as they are now, I suspect. That was, it's I think, not, our top story for day after day. Isn't it? Definitely, yeah. People, uh, people like that one. I, I'm not, I'm not sure why, but it's not just uh, 150 yeah, or however many years ago that they were back in the slave trade. Because I think only this week they refused to take down a cartoon of Pretty Patel as a fat bull with a nose, a, a ring through her nose. That was just this week that they're not backing down on that. And uh, again, you know, it goes back to that Churchill is currently under scaffolding and Lloyd George isn't. Um, the hypocrisy, the sort of turning a blind eye to the characters you vaguely think are on your side, uh, even though there's glaring, uh, you know, horrors from their history. We saw it the, the same with Jeremy Corbyn. Um, no, I'm not, I'm not completely... I remember that came out and there were first complaints about that cartoon. And I realised uh, Pretty Patel is of Hindu extraction, so perhaps portraying her as a cow is not the best. But political cartoons are always grotesque and they're always horrible and you always hate them when you've had cartoons about you. Um, and uh, if we start saying, oh, you can't say horrible things in political cartoons, I think we're becoming censorious. So even though I didn't like the tone of the cartoon, I'm, I'm not keen on them taking it down. I might, sorry about that, Pretty, but, uh, you know, cartoons are horrible and that's why they're effective. And they are caricatures quite often. Shout out to Rich. <laughs> <laughs> right. Um, I think there's, I think that's probably about time to leave the enormity of the culture war that hit our country and indeed hit Parliament over the, this last week and move on to some of the other stories uh, that have been swirling around because of course this was also the time um, this week where we passed two whole months without using any coal for electricity generation in this country. I know it sounds a bit less seismic than the large political issues that we've been discussing up till now but it was uh, it was quite a moment and of course this is a trend that we've been seeing in the united kingdom with coal being phased out well before any sort of left-wing extinction rebellion protesters came about it's it's often 
forgotten and not often said that this country is well ahead of countries like Germany when it comes to reducing CO2 emissions. I think it was the it was the largest proportional reducer of CO2 emissions in the G20. And where you've got countries with strong Green Party presences like Germany, what actually you've seen is a less fast reduction in CO2 emissions because they've closed down all their nuclear power stations, which are exactly the things that are keeping the lights on. There was a very funny moment during a BBC report uh, on this uh, phenomenon of, of two whole months without any coal, the dirtiest fuel generating power in this country, where they then cut to a whole bunch of wind turbines saying, isn't it marvellous? But actually in the scene just before where you saw the reporter standing in the power station um, and over the back of the, of the shoulder, you could see the percentage of different, uh, f- different generation types that are that are, uh, are contributing to the electricity in this country, wind was just 1%. And actually the vast, vast majority was both nuclear and gas. I mean, two massively cleaner fuels than, uh, than, than coal, but still fuels that are campaigned against by green protesters. So you sort of start to think, are green protesters often doing more harm than good? when it comes to campaigning to stamp out fuels that are actually being those transition mechanisms in order to uh, decrease our carbon footprint. I mean, um, yeah, obviously, but you would never expect uh, people like Extinction Rebellion or Caroline Lucas to be rational or pragmatic in trying to get to the end state that mainstream politics now has a consensus on that we need to move to a much more greener uh, energy uh, industry. Um, But yeah, you're right. I think I saw earlier this week that Germany is not expected to get the same uh, record on coal use as we currently are until around 2035. Uh, And, you know, we've seen groups like Extinction Rebellion paint Britain as, as this awful country we have a we have a fab record to be proud of and that's because we're being very pragmatic and we're using uh gas and uh other resources but the bbc i mean that was just a a sort of editorial um, you know laziness i think they thought they'd get away with uh with portraying this as some fantastic wind revolution uh it was not so they were unlucky because I think the figure was 1.7% and generally it is nearer 10%, uh, I think, on average. So uh, it was fun, but I don't think it was necessarily representative. In fact, green Twitter went mental with us, if I recall correctly, and was saying, <laughs> and called us fake news, lies. And I, I sent a picture, a screenshot, and they even claimed we'd made it up. And it was the fact that on that day, as it often happens, the wind wasn't blowing. And power was being relied on good old gas and uh, it would just Which be I'm nice surprised if we didn't have to. <laughs> Sorry, you go ahead. <laughs> I'm surprised because you know I, I don't know where those wind turbines are, but summer has very much been over for me for the last week. I mean, it's been bloody miserable. The wind has been horrific, so I would have expected the BBC to be able to get a get a good reading on that, especially at the moment. Oh no, Kogi, if the wind blows too fast, they stop turning because it, it messes with their <laughs> mechanism. 
they, they, have, they only have to, there's a certain range of wind and if the winds are too high, they turn off for safety reasons. Otherwise they'll, they'll break down. Um, so sometimes it's, it's far too windy for, for turbines. Um, but I do, I do wish that we hadn't slowed down on shale gas extraction in this country because at the moment, whilst, um, whilst it's good that gas is replacing coal, so much of that has to be imported. And I'm not sure it's particularly good to be importing gas from places like Russia, as so much of Europe is, uh, when we've got such resources of it in our own countries. It's a very effective green campaign to paint out fracking as some kind of dangerous um, air pollution heavy method. It was uh, a big failure on the part of people who could, could fracking and shell gas being clean energy. It's a terribly uh, reluctance on a conservative part of a conservative government to actually push the agenda. I always, I always particularly like the scare stories of you know a, a one point two Richter uh, measurement was uh, was felt near a, a fracking plant, and you know, you know, that's portrayed as something quite bad. In reality, that's about on par as a as a heavy woman falling down the stairs. I mean, it's not that bad. Right, on that note, shall we perhaps move on to another story that uh, we ran this week um, and uh, about, about a more internal parliamentary matter. Uh, Calgi, can you, can you fill us in on this? Yes, talking of quick dissents uh, by people, um, we have uh, Rob Roberts again. I saw a tweet yesterday from a young Labour activist, I think it was going, uh, is this the longest we've been without a real scandal published by Guido Fawkes on Rob Roberts MP? Yes, I'm sorry to disappoint. Um, what we did have earlier this week was a more light-hearted one, uh, which is that I found his old Twitter account from before, well before he was a, an MP, and it included some uh, choice tweets which uh, would have been advisable to delete uh, about his new colleagues, uh, including calling Dominic Raab uh, another politician in it for himself instead of the national interest. Uh, he called Michael Gove disloyal. He called Andrew Bridgen a backstabbing, politicking, conniving, to complete disgrace. And he called Robert Courts another nobody. Now, many people might agree with these reviews, uh, but they're not as diplomatic as an MP should aim for. Uh, the, only, the only final thing I'll say on Rob Roberts, uh, to, to tease possible future stories that I've got my ear to the ground on, is that our first uh, sort of scandalous article about him talking about a meeting he'd had with the chief whip uh, mentioned that we understood an incident had been raised with parliamentary, with parliament's independent complaint body. I now understand a pretty serious report and complaint has now formally been entered. And I think another activist has tried to get in contact with the chief whip about a story we ran also on him inviting her over for fun times in his apartment. So there are things going on in the background, but we're trying not to uh, uh, get in the way of you know, serious investigations that may be going on there. Right, moving on from uh, internal Westminster affairs, there was a big 
external moment in international politics this week when it became the moment of no return. Uh, we've passed the last meeting between Michael Gove and the European Commission before the end of the month. And that means under the terms of the withdrawal agreement, an extension can no longer be sought to the transition period. It means that at the end of this year, we have extracted ourselves completely from the economic institutions of the European Union, as well as the political ones we extracted ourselves from at the beginning of this year. So from the 1st of January 2021, we will either be trading with the European Union as if uh, we were Canada or as if we were Australia. And it's up to the EU to pick which one, because this government is perfectly happy to pursue either model. By the way, the betting markets don't believe this. Got a few hundred quid on us getting out of the transition period on time, on day. First of January, we'll be, uh, you know, a totally sovereign country. So there's still, there's still, I suspect, willing to bet against you if you uh, want to get onto Betfair or Smarkets or whatever service you use. Good to see there's money to be made there. <laughs> Um, so JK Rowling um, sent out a tweet explaining her position and I thought it was a very judicious kind of explanation. It was, was certainly very newsworthy, dominated all the front pages, where she basically said that, you know, as a, what's the phrase she used, menstruating woman, uh, or people who menstruate, I'm sorry, I'm trying to watch my language here, you know, they have their issues and their position is clear and that they have a list of concerns. And uh, you two on Twitter sided against her and um, directed people towards um, some rebuttals of all the points that I thought she made. So it's for you to explain why J.K. Rowling is a bad person. I think there's a difference here between some activists who believe people who disagree with them are bad people and people who think that people who disagree with them are people who disagree with them. Now, I fit, I fit into the latter category. Um, I don't begrudge people who have different opinions to me on this subject, far from it. I think it's important to carry out debates respectably. And actually, I think that one of the one of the really toxic things about this issue is on both sides, there is a horrendous amount of abuse thrown and it becomes incredibly personalized for obvious reasons. And when you're dealing with issues that, that people feel are about their personhood or their fundamental rights as who they see themselves, uh, both on the side of, of uh, trans exclusionary feminists and on the side of uh, trans women and trans men, one of the points she made was that the, even the term, TERF, trans exclusionary radical feminist, is, is, is a pejorative and abusive term. And she doesn't think it's um, a legitimate debating uh, point to call people that kind of a name. It's become uh, a four-letter word, turf, and it's it's used to cancel people, cut them out of debate. I think uh, even it's, it's symptomatic of a generation that can no longer tolerate differences in opinion, and that everybody who disagrees with them has to be no platform, cancelled, 
and uh, only there's only one truth, and it's not going to be. So it's strange that some of your allies on this issue, Tom, are uh, in that category where they just oh, uh, do not want totally. I mean. A, a lot of the, my allies with regard to my position on leaving the European Union are hardline communists. Doesn't mean I agree with them on anything else, particularly on language policing, which I am fundamentally against. Um, no, I, I mean, obviously there are strange bedfellows in all sides of this argument. Of course, I, I'd be the first to point out that J.K. Rowling is a Labour donor who has been a lifelong socialist and given more money to the Labour Party than just about anyone else in recent history. Um, so obviously there are... But there Christian, are do you accept that J.K. Rowling has a right to say what she says? This is one of the trickier social debates because when we're talking about gay rights or when we're talking about black and minority ethnic rights, the, the opposition uh, is not questioning whether, in most cases, not questioning whether someone can actually be gay or can actually be black. When it comes to the trans debate, a lot of it is still focused around whether transgender exists or whether it is a so-called mental illness. I come at this uh, from a position of having actually been through the Conservative Party's uh, internal membership review system after being reported for calling someone a turf on social media. I, for one, think people, uh, well, I'd call them transphobes, uh, should grow up because they're getting called a word that they have come to interpret as mean. It's not being thrown at them for no reason. Uh, they're getting called it because often they have engaged in sustained attacks upon uh, a very vulnerable group's identity and are in often cases, you know, this is J.K. Rowling, one of the most influential authors of the 21st century, an immense amount of power in her social media. These attacks aren't harmless. Trans children have one of I the highest I don't think she's made personal rates. attacks on anyone. I don't think she's made personal attacks They're not attacks personal. Well, they're not personal, but they are very much directed at a group which is under sustained abuse and a group which is under such abuse, it has some of the highest suicide rates of any group in well, society. I, I, those numbers And self-harm abuse. And I am... Always, my, you know, to be honest, my concern is over the safety of everyone. So you think there should be no platform? The, the, I mean, you're, you're the, prevaricating here. Well, Do you think she should be no she's, platform? She's got a social media account and she's allowed to say what she's allowed to say, but I don't believe people should have free speech, uh, you know, Thank without, you. No uh, questions without for a right to be... <laughs> without a right to be uh, questions on that. And I think that's what she's expecting. I, I, of course she's going to get a backlash because I find her views to be offensive and I have as much right to say that she's as... Not, uh, she's not, she's not persecuted. Anyway, without, without uh, going into abusive terminology, I, I think she's, in everything she said, and particularly in that article she wrote, made it quite clear that she's got a lot of sympathy and empathy for people but there are some lines that she feels um, shouldn't be crossed. 
Anyway. Yeah, I think that with, with J.K. Rowling, she was a lot more measured and a lot more uh, polite and thoughtful in her views than with a lot of other people. And I don't think that we should take that away from her. And I think it's, it's perfectly acceptable to raise questions, but I don't think it's necessarily um, it should be lauded. The kind of um, people that she was holding up in that piece as, you know, paragons of, of virtue had been quite vicious on many, many occasions to other people. Um, but of course, this is a tricky area and there are going to be disagreements and we shouldn't begrudge that fact or deny people their right to express their opinions. It's, it'll be interesting for the listeners and viewers to know that there's a culture war within our own editorial organisation. I look, I look forward to reading the comments on this particular podcast edition. <laughs> <laughs> thanks right well with that i think we should probably uh leave this discussion for another time and indeed we are out of time for the podcast as a whole so thank you for sticking with us right through this discussion and all the others and we will see you again this time next week thanks for watching bye